the key is how do you take that far-reaching vision and put it in layman's terms to what's in it for me? What's the benefit right now in the next year to five years that as an organization, as a frontline worker, that is going to benefit me to make this a viable product and to make this a better entity? Hey, Brian, welcome to the Get in the Mode podcast. Thank you for having me. Right. Brian, for the benefit of our listeners, why don't you start by giving us a little bit of, you know, an introduction, talk about your background. Sure. Uh, So Brian Cobb, Chief Innovation Officer for the Cincinnati Northern Kentucky International Airport, located in the Midwest. We're about a 9.1 million passenger per year pre-COVID days. And also the only North American airport to have two cargo carriers hubbed at one location. So that is our latest claim to fame with uh, Amazon's latest opening of their first mega hub domestically. And certainly we look forward to perhaps them going internationally. And of course, DHL, the world's largest cargo carrier, is also based here at CVG, their second largest hub in the world. So fortunate for that. A little bit about myself, Uh, background-wise, I come all from aviation, 31 years in total. 20 of that was with an airline, uh, working with the the legacy carrier Delta. And then uh, the last 11 years now with the airport board, uh, perhaps a little bit more stable than the airline side. But as many people know, aviation is not without its struggles, ups and downs and upheavals along the way but very fortunate to, to work in an industry that frankly changes by the minute. Great. Well, you know, let's kind of talk about the innovation office, which you lead, right? Can you tell us a little bit about how your overall initiatives, how are they categorized? I'm sure you guys have strategic objectives. I'm curious, like into what do they fall into? Of course, like many businesses, and it was frankly kind of unusual for an airport to have a strategy plan just 15, 10 years ago. So we were at a necessary point where we had to develop a strat plan, much like a a private entity, even though there were a quasi-government entity. And that plan, frankly, was much to our success. We went through a very difficult time 15 years ago. Uh, We were a de-hubbed airport not too unlike what many airports across the U.S. have gone through, especially with challenges in aviation. Coming out of that, we recognized we have got to change our business strategy. Very much that was successful by all accounts, fastest rebounding airport amongst all of our siblings and and counterparts across the country. Now, the benefit ultimately, David, is that we moved into a, a scenario where the traditional airport model, to some degree, may be broken. And what are we going to do, again, to move away from quasi-government and move perhaps more to quasi-private? And those are audacious words for an industry like ours. And frankly, it comes down to what are we going to do to develop new streams of revenue that simply just don't exist today? And we'll get back to the revenue piece in just a minute. But when we jumped into the innovation space and had some immediate success, frankly, we decided to create an innovation department. And our department is focused on four verticals. Those verticals are transport, which is kind of obvious, but also connect. And that's a relationship not only to our customers that are flying, but also our customers that are our tenant base and our employees as well. And then there's the clean aspect. And this is the good steward, the good neighbor for the community of what are we doing from an emissions perspective? 
And what are we going to evaluate from a renewables perspective? And then the last element is secure. Like all airports, our contribution into the aviation sector is to make sure by all means that we are an incredibly secure airport from a physical barrier perspective, that no one can penetrate the secure side of the airport. But then also there's this new aspect that many of us are familiar with and really kind of keeps us up at night, and it's cyber. Uh, Airports have frankly always been a sexy target. Now we're even more a sexy target for cyber hackers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, security, regulation, those are key. I mean, it's kind of like business as usual to operate, right? That you need to have the foundation. Tell us a little bit about, you mentioned brand. You know, what's the need for airports to have a brand? How important is that? Yeah, so that flips back again to our 15-year look back where very uncommon for airports to have a brand. Many of us recognize the names like Coca-Cola and Pepsi, but you don't necessarily think about it an airport as being a brand. Exactly. Uh, our yeah. scenario was when we are a hub airport for a major carrier, uh, and suddenly that was no longer the case. Frankly, our local constituents, our local customers viewed us as that airline. And that was really not helping our situation because under that circumstance, suddenly there was a tremendous amount of frustration and frankly kind of hate for that airline for what did you do to our community? Mm-hmm. And we were just guilt by association. So we really had to establish not only a brand for our local customer, but also as we kind of look for a ripple effect of outside our, our catchment base of passengers, we had to look and understand who we were. Now, what's challenging for us and where that brand implication really became quite serious is that unlike anywhere else in the U.S., CVG is right in the middle of five other airports. And all of our airports are within about an hour, hour and a half drive. So if you talk about customer options, they are right in our backyard. Uh, We definitely had to learn how to fight for customers. And that started with our employee base, frankly, understanding we have to be a brand. And this is what customer service is about. And this is what brand equity is about. And we've got to recapture what we lost over the years. Yeah. And, you know, you also talked about revenue generation initiatives, right? What are some some of those initiatives in an airport like uh, yours? Sure. The best way to kind of structure that, David, is if you're not familiar with airports, we have aircraft, obviously, that take off and land. The traditional airport model is to charge based on the number of takeoffs or the number of landings. We charge based on the number of landings. That's one portion. Another portion is concession revenue, which is kind of obvious. And then really our biggest revenue generator that is non-related to aircraft is our parking revenue. And that makes up about 50% of our revenue. Now, where we really had that wake-up call is we were looking at what was happening trend-wise. Look no further than ride shares. So ride share actually were starting to impact some major airports, the LAXs, the Atlantas. Many airports actually started to kind of shelve their plans on expanding either their remote lots or their parking garages. We didn't have that experience per se because our growth rate was far exceeding what was actually being eroded away to ride share. So it was really kind of masked. When we started to look into that further and watching our growth rate, ironically, we had some consultants say, well, you need to build lots like right now (laughs) to handle the volume. We said, wait a minute, time out. 
what's being missed is ride share is not going away. Yeah. And it's only going to continue to get better. But what if when autonomous vehicles come and it's pretty reasonable to think that autonomous vehicles are coming when that happens, will people own vehicles? Will we actually need parking garages? And if that's the case, we stand to lose 50% of our revenue. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do differently to protect our entity? I'm curious, what are some thoughts that are floating around in that space? (laughs) Sure. So uh, immediately, one of the elements, we'll go back to that transport vertical, right? So we have been hell-bent to figure out autonomous vehicles. And we were successful in working with an organization that started in South Korea, moved to Palo Alto. They had a fair amount of success, but little fish, big pond. So they came to the Midwest. Uh, We gave that organization unfettered access to our airport. Mm -hmm. So if you're not familiar with autonomous vehicles, there's quite a bit of mapping first. They completed their mapping in about six months and then absolutely turned their vehicle on. And not only it was a passenger vehicle, but we're the first U.S., actually first world airport to have an autonomous baggage tug. One of those units that you see toting baggage carts around the ramp. Uh, And that is the first of its kind. So we really view that as a criticality of not just the passenger side and how are we going to address moving people on and off. And there's an evaluation of, well, do we ultimately get into transportation outside of the airport, just beyond our parking to figure out, okay, well, people will have no interest in owning cars, then perhaps we get into that business of transport. Uh, So that's just one element. Other than that, really our strategy with organizations like that is if there is a product, if there is a concept that it might not even have a play in aviation, we are very interested in talking to organizations and using our airport as a laboratory first and foremost Mm -hmm. and putting that product in front of the consumer and trialing it just like startups, fail fast, fail forward. And as we learn, ideally, if we co-create a product that's ready for market, then that's our revenue generation opportunity. Got it. Wow. Now, let's take a step back, right? Getting back to foundation, right? Regulation, cybersecurity. Now, you know, with the data that you're perhaps with digitization, there's a lot of data that's moving around. Let me first ask about regulation. What are some factors that are influencing regulation at the airports? Uh, you know, what's the changing landscape looking like? You've been in the industry 30 years. I'm curious how that... You, regulation you is not known for moving fast, right? Right. <laughs> and that's, that's the challenge. So much so that we're actually kind of taking, taking that laboratory approach again. Our interest is when we're working with startups, we also want to work with university partners. Mm. And the university partners are really our subject matter experts. And ideally, kind of a side note, is we're looking for our startups and university partners to collaborate together. And ideally, we keep the local student base as employees in the community. So there's really kind of economic development goodness from that perspective. Because of that confluence of startups and universities, we've already caught the eye of major corporations saying, we we like what we see going on there. Can you tell us more and how do we participate? And once that big confluence occurs, then really the regulators have, have woken up in many respects and have also come knocking. And if they haven't knocked, then we've approached them to say, look, we're using this as a lab. We're learning this, are using this to learn mutually and collectively. 
how can we bring you into this environment on the front end? So we're not doing things perhaps under the radar and then suddenly surprising you to say, well, this is what we want to do. So we're trying to bring in regulators on the front end. And frankly, sometimes there's just not enough or the space or landscape is so confusing that there's not enough time. And really, we're looking at drones right now as, as a perfect example of that. The drone technology is moving so fast, so furious that the FAA really can't keep pace. Right. So they're looking to NASA. NASA now has joined in and saying, OK, well, we'll be the vetting audience. But we also need to work with players to figure out how this is working. And that's where CBG has become one of the partners in a collaborative between NASA and the state of Ohio in developing drone technologies to fly into complex airspace like CBG. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about NASA. There's another NASA term that, you know, getting gaining a lot of popularity, digital twin, right? Can you tell us about the role of digital twin in aviation in the airport industry? Yeah, so we, one of our frustrations is uh, dealing or being in the tech space. And, and for the record, I don't have an official tech background. So I really come at it from a novice perspective of, I don't necessarily know all of the specific sayings and how things connect, hence our relationship with the universities, as well as my staff. But then also there's, there's a level of frustration of, okay, let's, let's stop talking theory. And let's actually go do, let's, yeah. let's show what's realistic. Yeah. So this digital twin conversation has been pretty intriguing where we're moving it off of the conversation and moving it into reality. And right now, a great example is uh, we're just about to wrap up the completion of a brand new building. It's a rental car facility. Uh, so a portion of it is garage. The other portion is a customer service building. So imagine a space where the uh, designers and architects and the uh, developer have put together this beautiful package that says, Here's how this building is going to operate. Mm -hmm. But what's the validation model? You don't know until you're actually in operation and you're months down the road and you're you're trying to figure out, well, is your HVAC functioning properly? But it's brand new. It should be running perfectly. But what if it isn't? So that digital twin environment is taking the virtual element itself, taking that garage and taking that customer service building, putting it into a virtual world and connecting sensors that you can see well before the building is actually turned on, here's how it should function. Right. And once it's in function, turn those sensors on for real-time data streams. And then immediately you start seeing reality versus what was proposed. And if there's a gap, you can go fix that. And then the longer state is, well, what if we have to add on to that building at some point? Frankly, we can go back into the virtual world and build a new building before we ever put a shovel in the ground. And the benefit to that is, is as many people in construction have learned, you know, change requests are a significant driver of cost. Right. So if you can vet all of the problems before you ever put a shovel in the ground, how much cost have you just saved? Yeah. yeah. And the idea of homogenized data, right? All the data that you can transfer and gain. Um, so that that's, there's a huge benefit there. In terms of cost savings, like how you're talking about, like, hey, change requests, if, you know, you've got a plan, now something changed and you have to make those changes, that there's a lot of cost savings there in terms of uh, blueprinting that, prototyping that with the digital twin. Right. Well, it's uh, customer flow. We can really figure out how to optimize the building once it's up and running. Was it truly optimized to begin with? If it's not, then what do we need to do to address the customer concerns? 
and re-optimize the building in a virtual world and then put it into action. Now, let's talk a little bit about the innovation office. How, you know, you've been chief innovation officer for how many years now? Three years at this point. Three years. You have a relationship with the CEO, the COO, CFO, and you're now bringing in a chief legal officer, right? For product. My question is, how do you rationalize budget? You know, oftentimes chief innovation officers are sitting and thinking about certain new ideas, you know, like new technology, new ways to solve problem. The idea of failing fast, failing forward, everybody knows that. As much as chief innovation officers want others to understand that, how do you how do you rationalize budget? I think that's where I'm leading with this question. Like in, among your peers in, at the C-suite, how do you make sure like, hey, what I am doing is going to bring value and it's not just an experiment. That's just gadgetry type stuff. As you know, you feel my pain. <laughs> <laughs> Incredibly fortunate. I will begin with, with my colleagues. Uh, first and foremost, we have a CEO that very much sees the vision. She understands that it's just not going to be right out of a box and we're developing revenue and everything is perfect. And really where Candace McGraw, our CEO, has, has glommed on to this issue of perhaps we need to stop using the term innovation and leverage it more for change management. It's really, you know, are we trying to improve the product over what we produced yesterday? And if we're not, then shame on us. Not too many companies are successful by not improving their product from yesterday. So that kind of goes back to that quasi-private or private entity way of thinking. So immediately then the, the landscape moves to my other C-suite colleagues and viewing them as really, they are my customer. So I have to make it efficient and effective and improve my worth to them, let alone the entire organization. Very quickly in the early days, yeah, we were labeled as oh, those kids that play with the cool stuff, and but really what's coming out of it. We actually have more street credibility than we did internal credibility because in this industry, like I began with, things change by the day, by the second almost sometimes it feels like. So oftentimes it's we just don't have time to look at new stuff. And then there's the element where we've gone through the change management aspect, the cultural issue to suggest, look, we're, we're heading down a different path. We can't be what we used to be. We're looking forward. And when we look forward, we have to be looking decades forward. What does the future of aviation look like? And not only that, but what if the money stream dries up from the government? What if another pandemic occurs and we lost garage revenue overnight and not just overnight, but for months on end? So immediately put us in a vulnerable position. What are we going to do to think differently? And if the innovation department is helping assist in that forward-looking measurement, then absolutely it's worth budgeting and putting allocated funds in that direction, understanding that it's not always going to be perfect. But by gosh, there's an opportunity that says, we're not also going to just pull something off the shelf that's new and say, oh, look, we're innovative. We're more interested in pulling it off the shelf to say, okay, it's new, but is it going to work? And not only is it going to work for us, but is it going to work for our small airports? And is it going to work for our large airports? Mm -hmm. And if not, how do we help you develop that product so it does? And right. if that's back right. to that venture build, and if we do, then perhaps, again, we have the opportunity to develop revenue off of a new product. 
when do you as an innovation officer realize that this is not working the way it should either we need to pivot or cut our losses what are some strategies that you've implemented that's worked for you sure even though that we're relatively new in in the space for for 3 years and there goes there's a little bit of history before the 3 years obviously that got us to the final stamp of approval of what's moved forward but we were able to demonstrate frankly before the beginning of the 3 years that we don't have time to waste not only as individuals but as our organization as uh, and as our industry we don't have time to do r&d for a year plus so it is absolutely you're coming in as an organization we're viewing that product we're going to speak together we'll work together and it starts with a pilot program and our pilots are typically 6 months at best to begin with and then at the end of the six months, we're doing a pulse check to say, is it working? Is it effective? If it's not, we're killing it now. And that's not to say we'll never look at it again, but you know, developer, perhaps take it away, work on it some more, give us a call when you think you're that much further. And here's the deliverables that we're looking for to hit that target. If we reach that six months and it is going successful, then we have two decisions to make. Mm-hmm. Either one, it's successful enough that it's an MVP and let's develop it and put it to market. Or number two, it needs a little bit of work. We see the end state in sight. Let's give it another six months. And that end state has to be at that year mark. If it's not, then again, we're we're putting it to bed and perhaps there's another day to to look at it again. But with that in mind, our rigor is full spectrum, less than a year to figure it out. Predominantly, it's more of a six-month window that says, yay, nay, and let's go. Got it. So a time-boxed approach to evaluate where you are with those initiatives, right? Innovation initiatives is what you recommend. It holds people accountable, frankly. We're looking at a very short time frame. Let's hit those sprints and let's deliver on that product. Makes sense. Now, in terms of adopting changes for, and even a culture of innovation, right? Perhaps leadership understands this. You, You know, you are fortunate to have a great CEO, what about folks that might be like, you know, operational folks? How do you communicate this culture of innovation and how do you manage changes when certain initiatives flow through? Uh, great question, David. And really it comes down to what's in it for me. So my, uh, my total group at the airport, mm-hmm. one of the teams is the housekeeping team. And they are the hardest working individuals in a very difficult environment. And oh, right. by the way, not only are they housekeepers, but because they're wearing a uniform, they're brand ambassadors. Right. So their spectrum of responsibility is pretty wide reaching. And again, it takes a very talented individual to pull that off. So to move to a, a perfect example of, we were looking at how do you do away with the traditional pencil and paper on the back wall of the house, uh, the restroom that said, yeah, I was in here and I cleaned it. Mm-hmm. How do we automate that process? Right. And better yet, how do we hold ourselves accountable? And why that's critical is airports are judged. There's a survey standard that goes across the world. And one of the critical elements is cleanliness of restrooms. It's kind of like walking into a restaurant. If it's dirty, immediately you're, you're making an assessment that says, eh, not, not probably you're not going to have a good experience here. Right. So keeping that in mind and knowing our housekeepers really take pride in that responsibility, we digitized it. We put sensors on our restrooms Mm -hmm. that count the number of of people in and out. 
pretty basic. But then we took that sensor data into the cloud, run some algorithms, set some standards that said at this certain threshold, send an alert to a wearable device. And that alert says, you're coming close to our threshold. Please check out that restroom. And it's intelligent enough that it's saying it's a female restroom notifying the closest female attendant. So that attendant goes in. And then the next beautiful thing is, if they're a relatively new housekeeper, well, what if they don't remember exactly what they should be looking for and what they have to clean? Mm -hmm. So it's really an immediate checklist of information that they can run through and validate that they've done everything that's expected of them. And of course, we can figure out how long did it take to, to have them in that space. And immediately imagine all of that data behind the scenes that's really showing the efficiency or lack thereof sometimes of what are we doing and how are we working with our staff. But the last element that's really intriguing, and it appears that we may be the the first company in the country that has used wearable devices for asset management. And how how does that connect? If you think back to the restroom, if we have an idea of how many people are going in, And we can start making assessments of how are the faucets working? How are the soap dispensers working? How much paper and tissue are we using? We can really, again, create other data sets that start telling us, well, is there a conditional problem or is there a cleanliness problem? They are two very different things. And if it's conditional, then let's slate this restroom for rehab. And typically what airports have traditionally done is when it comes time for rehab, we rehab all restrooms regardless of how many visits they've had. Now, if it's for look and feel and the consistency, okay, that's one thing. But if you're putting it right back to the way it looked, why would you ever replace furnishings that aren't ready to be replaced? Because that restroom perhaps got far less volume than what the terminal restroom did. Mm -hmm. And again, that's data. The number of footfall goes right back to, and we use this in COVID, which restrooms are being used the most, which ones can we safely shut down and start really kind of making our building immediately more efficient and frankly safe to some degree for for our staff and focusing their efforts. Yeah, and at the time of this recording, I think we're kind of slightly, there's some Delta variant fears that is taking place as people are kind of come, you know, and there's travel that's still happening and people are coming back. Now, what are some, you know, perhaps some, you know, measures you as a chief innovation officer taking in terms of the innovation office to say, hey, these are certain things that are going to stay and these are things that are temporary? Like, how are you allocating resources? How are you uh, working through those changing environment? Absolutely. I can safely say in the early days of COVID, my email box, my phone, they were all jam-packed with people coming forward saying, oh, we we have the COVID killer. Man, have we got the product for you. And you got to separate the chaff, right? So, And that's no easy task to figure out what has validity and what doesn't. Right. In the early days, it was still very confusing on, is it airborne? Is it surface-borne? Right. The other element is, let's not forget that Aviation kind of felt this experience once before, and that was post 9-11. Suddenly, we had a bunch of people coming forward saying, we've got the greatest thing in security that you need to buy right now. (laughs) So we just kind of always kind of had that in mind of let's be cautious about what we're adopting and how quickly we're adopting just for theater purposes. And that's not healthy. 
Now back to the, uh, the pandemic circumstance. So it was really kind of basic to very complex. The basic element was what's the consumer appreciate? What is the consumer going to see? We're the first airport that launched an autonomous floor scrubber. Mm-hmm. So it's an incredible device, has a tremendous amount of AI embedded in it, has LiDAR cameras. So it has great capabilities going forward. But the simplest fact is it is continuously cleaning our hard surface floors. Now, the benefit to that is we really launched it pre-pandemic, just a few months ahead. Now, as soon as the pandemic came along and the few customers that we had, frankly, when they were coming back, they saw that and suddenly it became a social media hit saying, well, look how much the airport is concerned about the cleanliness of the facility. Now, juxtapose that to, well, what if we had staff that cordoned off that area and were in there mopping it and scrubbing it? The customer would be incensed of why would you do that during the operational day? But a robot, total, totally different yeah. circumstance. So that's the basic. And that's certainly demonstrating autonomy, the camera technology, AI, et cetera. So fantastic stuff. Then there's the complexity. Our airline folks, our airline partners did a tremendous job, if you remember, in probably the first couple months, they started sending around illustrations of an aircraft cabin and HEPA filtration and showing the airflow going down and out as opposed to throughout the entire cabin. The the challenge to that perhaps is that someone may have forgotten in order to get into that safe tube, you have to walk through a very big airport. So suddenly the pressure came back to airports of, "Well, well, what's your contribution to my safety? And reasonably so, right? So now airports have definitely, we were focused on it beforehand, but the pressure was only accelerated. And now the simple aspect is airports are those, these massive venues, massive people venues, not frankly too unlike sports stadiums or right. theaters. Or, so what is it that we can do to develop and contribute back to other industries that says we make money based off butts and seats? How do we get your butts back in your seats to make sure that you're viable? So from that perspective, it's healthy building technology. It's back to that digital twin. It's back to what are we doing from the HVAC filtration, but then also some really complex scenarios where one organization that we're talking to right now is has the capability of pumping a faux bacteria or virus mm-hmm. into the HVAC to see, number one, did that new filtration system work in killing it? And if it didn't, how far throughout your building structure did it carry? And what do you need to do to mitigate that? So there's an aspect of, okay, great. So there's the new protectant. Then there's this audit that occurs. But then there needs to be a third layer, which is an independent audit of both of those systems, the HVAC and the faux, uh, faux virus, to make sure that when we go public, we can absolutely go public for, for sure and say, this is valid science, it's very safe science, and we're pushing this support mechanism out to other industries to include our, our aviation friends. Awesome. Now, final question before we get to our rapid fire set of questions, which is going to be fun. What is your, <laughs> what is your advice in to other chief innovation officers, you know, in terms of prioritization, one of the biggest challenges when I talk to CNOs is there's all these 
ideas, right? I mean, if you think about waste management, sustainability, a digital twin, there are so many ideas and strategies that you can implement. What approaches have worked for you, Brian, in terms of prioritizing? And what would be your recommendation to other fellow chief innovation officers that are listening to this? That's a damn hard question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that I have the secret sauce. And if somebody does, give me a call. (laughs) But but, uh, all kidding aside, David, I, I truly believe it goes back to what are your verticals? So establish a reasonable amount of verticals for us, again, Transport Connect, Clean, Secure, four verticals, relatively broad. Whatever we're looking at really needs to fit under one of those four categories. Mm. So that's a limiting factor unto itself that really helps centralize the thought process. But then as the chief innovation officer, totally get, we're probably the visionaries of the organization. And if we're not the only one, then probably not too many are surrounding us. The key is how do you take that far-reaching vision and put it in layman's terms to what's in it for me? What's the benefit right now in the next year to five years that as an organization, as a frontline worker, that is going to benefit me to make this a viable product and to make this a better entity? And therein lies for us and for me specifically, really the drive. I can think all day long about the the 20 year outlook, the 30 year outlook and all the cool things that aviation could be, but, and that's not wasted effort, but it's certainly not timely effort either. So let's put that onto the back burner sometimes and let's focus on the here and now. And again, that kind of goes back to the other thing that I said, stop the rhetoric and let's actually go do stop talking. Let's go do. Yeah. No, I I think that's, you know, staying within a couple of things that you're saying there. One is staying within your verticals, right? Identify those, work with the C-suite to kind of identify that first. And once that is clear, stay within that and innovate within that vertical space, as well as time box it, right? So I, I think those are great approaches to help prioritize, right? Well, Brian, now we're going to get into some rapid fire questions. I hope you're ready for this. So Can you use the word pass at any time? (laughs) (laughs) We've got three for you. I think you'll knock this out of the park. So one is a nugget of great, really great insight from your favorite leadership book or any leadership book for that matter. Actually, uh, the book is called Radical Candor. I'm probably one of those individuals, uh, introverted by nature, don't necessarily like conflict, but coming through my career to this point, and especially the last few years, I've had to learn how to be just incredibly cantorous with with my commentary. Mm -hmm. And it's not meant to hurt. It's not meant to offend. It's simply, let's just cut to the chase. Let's figure out what the issue is and let's address it. That's not always a negative issue or uh, a scenario where, you know, it's, it's trepidatious condition, but definitely it's, it's helped ease and relax my team of knowing that I'm speaking exactly what I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> and that I'm not holding anything back and that we're all on the same page. So just get it out there. Radical candor. Definitely. Now, second question, you cannot say Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky Airport, but an aspirational favorite airport of yours. Munich. Okay. Just like that. Why? 
So I had the good fortune of, uh, of working with that team for uh, several days. Just an incredible organization. Obviously, in Germany, the benefit to our Munich colleagues is that they are an independent organization. They're not a government entity. Uh, they have relationships with the government, but they are absolutely an approach into that private sector. Um, and tremendous model from that perspective. Right now, they're building something called a lab campus that's pulling in the major German companies all into the central site on the airport mm. and encouraging working with startups. So just having this incredible incubation lab right on the airport property. Wow. Uh, just an amazing concept. And I got to say quickly, number two, Changi Airport, Singapore, another group of phenomenal folks. Uh, it is a sight to behold to see that, uh, see that airport. That is amazing. Definitely want to check that airport out sometime. Final one, best method that works for you to manage stress. <laughs> oh, this could be dangerous. <laughs> um, all right, I'll admit it. TikTok is just brain candy. <laughs> I did not expect that. <laughs> I suspected you did. <laughs> I mean, come on, let's face it, kids. Like, we're knee deep in it all day long. You just need the brain candy to just discard. Totally. God love my wife. She's, she's like, you're on TikTok, aren't you? <laughs> just need a little bit, just a little bit. That's good. I think it's good to see it as a stress buster, too. Like, a lot of times we kind of, you know, even if you kind of tie, you know, like, hey, I'm going to be 15, 10 minutes while I'm having my coffee doing this, you know, that's a good way to kind of, okay, now I'm back to work, you know, like, it's, it's not so much the guilt of social media and being on it, you know, so. Well, and there's a bit of a nuance, right? So we learn as organizations, what are the latest trends? Right. So even though that it's brain candy for me, I'm kind yeah. of seeing what's occurring in the general public. But it's also, so far, a social media platform that's just not overly done with hate. Yeah. And frankly, that's a real thing. And especially when you have a business and run a business, some of the other social media platforms, yeah, we, we get hate all day long, which is incredibly exhausting. When you know and I know it's not accurate, it's just someone's perception. Uh, and we have to deal with those too. But then there's the element of, okay, let's, let's wind it back and just relax a little bit. <laughs> Enjoy the ride. Awesome. Brian, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for uh, you know, being on the Get in the Mode podcast with us. I, I hope you'll come back six months later and you know, we'll chat more on what new things you're getting into. I love it, David. And thanks for uh, absolutely getting the mode uh, team for pulling this together and, and doing what you guys are doing to really encourage more thought leadership and future development. Awesome. Thank you.